So if you'll turn with me to uh, Acts chapter 1, which uh, Chaplain Howerton read just a moment ago. Thank you for that. Um, by the way, for those who don't know me, um, my name is Jordan. Um, I'm one of the pastors here on the team at JFK. So we're going we're gonna to kick off a new sermon series this week uh, in Acts. Now this kind of overlaps. Today is actually Ascension Sunday. Um, which is the day that we remember when Christ ascended into heaven before next week, which is Pentecost Sunday, which is the day that we remember um, 50 days after the resurrection, and we remember uh, the day in which the Holy Spirit came upon the church in Jerusalem. So today is Ascension Sunday. We're kicking off our sermon series in Acts, which is the biblical story in which Christ ascends into heaven, which is really appropriate. The story of Luke-Acts is a story about the movement of the Holy Spirit. Now, I say Luke-Acts together because Luke is the author of both, and most scholars and most theologians would agree that, that it is actually the same narrative. Um, there's lots of good reasons to think that. So, in ancient Near Eastern times, when you were writing something, and you were writing something really long, you had a scroll to write on. And as you wrote that scroll out, when you got to the end of the papyrus, there was no, like, next page or enter button or something like that, right? You had to find another piece of papyrus. So you were faced with the question of how do we make this link? How do we make sure that the community of people know that this is the same narrative, this is the same story? And so you'll notice, I encourage you not to do it right now, but probably half of you are going to flip your books to Acts 24 or uh, Luke 24 immediately. But Luke 24 and Acts 1, if you read them, I encourage you to go back and read them later this week, are really, really, really similar. In fact, the story kind of happens twice, and that's the author's way of saying, hey, these are linked. I'm going to repeat myself so you know where this kind of picks up and continues, right? So the other thing that's interesting that tells us about what's going on in the narrative of Luke and Acts is that in Matthew, Mark, and John, Holy Spirit, the concept of the Holy Spirit, the word Holy Spirit, is mentioned a total of 11 times combined. In Luke, Holy Spirit is mentioned 10 times, and in Acts, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 32 times. So clearly, the author of Luke and Acts, or Luke Acts, right, has the Holy Spirit on his mind as something that is integral to the story that he is telling us. This historical account of what happened in the life of Jesus and in the ministry of the church that followed Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. These two books are really part one and part two of the same story. Now this morning we begin in Acts 1, on Ascension Sunday, with the Ascension of Christ. Now, I want to pause there for a moment. My favorite thing to do when I meet someone is to ask them, where are you from? I love, I love that question. I myself have traveled quite a bit, and so I love trying to see how close I can get to wherever that person's from, too. Where are you from? Now, my favorite part about that question is not learning 
where you're from so much as hearing you tell the story about where you're from. Because that question, where are you from, or where is home for you, is not so much a geographic question as it is a question about the socially constructed space that you call home, or that you call where you're from. In the same way, in Luke and in Acts 1, the narrative, while, and we'll get to this in a moment, while has to do with geography a little bit, has a lot more to do with socially constructed space. Now let me give you an example of what I mean by that in the context of thinking about home and where you're from. I'm going to tell you where I'm from. I'm from Manhattan, Kansas. Any of you been to Manhattan, Kansas before? Any of you stationed at Fort Riley probably know a thing or two about Manhattan, Kansas, right? I'm from Manhattan. No, not a military background, not a military family. That, that's where I'm from. Now, Manhattan, Kansas, when you is a unique city in the state of Kansas, right? Because most of the larger cities in the state of Kansas fall right on Interstate 70. Have any of you driven down Interstate 70 for a long stretch? You probably felt like Kansas was the most boring place in the world when you did, right? Especially as you got out into western Kansas. We, we, we distance ourselves from those western Kansas folks a little bit. Manhattan, Kansas is actually situated in the Flint Hills of Kansas, which is one of the most beautiful. It's one of the last tall grass prairies in the world. It's absolutely beautiful. The sunrises and sunsets in that area of the world, I think, are the best. They're amazing. You truly know how much you miss them when you're gone. Manhattan, Kansas, when you, when you pull off I-70, you have to drive about 10 miles down the road before you start to dip down into this valley. It's almost like this little oasis in this, in this prairie desert, right? You dip down into this valley, and immediately you see the city kind of open up before you. You cross a river. You see the city open up before you, this vibrant city that's home to... Not only a lot of the military community that are stationed at Fort Riley, it's also home to Kansas State University. And so if you somehow make it through Manhattan, Kansas without seeing a power cat, I don't know, I don't know where you went. Because I almost wore a power cat this morning, a power cat shirt, a wildcat shirt, which is the mascot for Kansas State, right? I almost wore a shirt just because I knew that if my sermon was terrible, Someone from Manhattan, Kansas would at least like the, the Facebook view because I had a K-State shirt on. Everything is, is surrounds K-State and being a Wildcat there. Man, from a young age to, to the time you die, you are bred a Wildcat. But, but Manhattan's unique too because it has its home to some of the best coffee shops. Man, there are some awesome coffee shops that aren't Starbucks. It was a long time before Starbucks ever hit Manhattan. The conversation was, are you a Blue Stem Bistro person or a Radina's person, right? And your conversations were around those coffee shops. The breakfast places, oh, I lament everywhere I go that there aren't better breakfast places because the breakfast places in Manhattan are so good. Every Saturday, you can't drive anywhere on the roads during football season because the roads are so backed up because everyone makes the pilgrimage weekly to Bill Snyder Family Stadium to watch football games. So, amen. I like it. <laughs> Manhattan, Kansas is a place on the map. Yes. But what makes Manhattan, Kansas home for me and so many others is the social infrastructure, the network of relationships that makes that place special. And I bet that where you're from, I bet that your home is similar. 
I bet that you wouldn't feel comfortable just pointing to a place on the map if I was to ask you, where are you from? You would have a story to tell me. Friends, Luke has a story to tell us about the movement of the Holy Spirit once Jesus ascends to heaven after his death and resurrection. Don't let yourself be so caught up in the geography of what happens in the story that you miss the socially constructed space, the web of relationships that God is building through the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts. Luke Acts is about the church. The church as witness carried by the unity of the Holy Spirit. Now, far too often we think about the Gospel of Luke as being the story of Jesus and the book of Acts as being the story about the apostles or the early church. The witness of Christ is about the church. And the witness of the church is about Christ. That's absolutely true. But we can't become so compartmentalized in our reading of this story that we risk losing the movement of the narrative by saying that Luke is about Jesus and Acts is about the church or the apostles, right? The story together, the narrative of the story, is about the movement of the Holy Spirit in and through God's community. In verse 6, Acts, Acts 1, 6, in verse 6, after Jesus ascends to heaven, or excuse me, right, right before Jesus ascends to heaven, the apostles ask, Lord, when will you restore? They, they, they are all waiting, right? Jesus is the Messiah. They want to know, God, Jesus, we want to see the change happen in front of us. When will you restore? Have any of you found yourself asking that question recently? God, when, when will you restore life to the way that we got really comfortable with life being? We're in a pavilion. We're not in the church sanctuary right now. We're, some of us, wearing masks. And all of us wearing masks when we go to the PX or the commissary or various stores, right? God, when will you restore things to the way that they were? The same question that the apostles had is a very similar question to the ones that we have. And we're asking God the same thing. Now, when we see Jesus' response, we should read Jesus' response not so much as descriptive, but as prescriptive. In other words, to concern ourselves with the time and place, Jesus responds, you will not know the time or the place, right? But you will be my witnesses. Or excuse me, you will not know the time and place, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will be my witnesses, right? Jesus is not so much describing what will happen. You will receive the Holy Spirit as a description. It's a, he, he is giving a prescript, right? You will receive the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses. He is giving a powerful response to the disciples, to the apostles. And, and I think that they miss it a little bit because as we go a little bit forward, Jesus leaves. He ascends into heaven. And the apostles are left staring up at the clouds. 
I think I probably would be too. I'm not, I'm not faulting them. I think sometimes we read scripture and we think, oh, those guys, if I was there, I would have known that of course Jesus was ascending into heaven and I would have gone about my way with exactly what Jesus told me to do, right? Which is obviously very short-sighted. We would have been staring at the clouds too, wondering what the heck just happened. And as they are, their response is basically, what? What are we supposed to do now, right? And the story tells us that there are two men that are clothed in white that walk up to them. And they basically say, if I can paraphrase, oh, don't worry, he'll be back. That's supposed to give them comfort, right? And in some sense it does, and in the other sense, that's no comfort at all, right? That's like going to ask your teacher a question and your teacher's saying, ah, oh, it's okay, like go back and rework the math. And you're like, but I wanted you to give me the answer, not tell me that I need to focus on what I'm doing, right? So he says, don't, they say, don't worry, he'll be back. Now Jesus' response to their question before he raised into heaven, again, we describe that as more prescriptive than descriptive. You will receive the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Now, when times are uncertain, people need good news. When death surrounds us, and sickness surrounds us, people need good news. When people are depressed and isolated and feel down, people need good news. When we're hurt and broken and strained and heavy, we, we need good news. We, the church, have an amazing opportunity and, and even a charge to go forward into our community by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the unity of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses, to bear the testimony of that good news, which is the death and resurrection of Christ, who has conquered death in the grave and has the final say to whatever our circumstances however wonderful or difficult they might be. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you're following this in your little map in the back of your Bible or, or on a map, right, you'll notice that Jerusalem is where they are. Judea and Samaria is a little bit further out. And the ends of the earth is a little bit further out, right? Oh, well, that makes sense. The geography of the gospel is that it moves out in concentric circles, right? The, the idea is that we carry this forward to the ends of the earth, right? We cannot miss the powerful, powerful message that Jesus has in this charge that he gives us to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the end of the earth. It's not about geography. Just like you asking me where I'm from 
or me asking you where I'm from, where you're from, right? It's not so much about geography. It is, I want to hear the story. I want to hear what the socially constructed space, I want to hear what the web of relationships, what the network, what the community is like where you're from. Well, when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth, he's not so much talking about the physical places on the map. He is, yes, that's true. We will be witnesses to the ends of the earth. But the gospel must spread to the furthest corners of the world. Now, some of you that are grammar Nazis just caught what I did there. I didn't say farthest. I said furthest. The word farthest usually denotes geographic distance, right? I'm going to the farthest corner. The word furthest usually has more of a metaphorical context to it, right? When I say I'm going to, that, that we, are, we are to bear witness to that the, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the movement of the Holy Spirit in, the, in, the, in our story, we are to bear witness to and give testimony to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to the furthest corner of the universe. I might be talking about the corner of my own heart at that moment. The very furthest corner of the universe might be the place that I least want to go inside myself. Or maybe it's my spouse. Maybe the further maybe I am ready to take the gospel to Indonesia and China and Cambodia, but man, I don't want to take it to my wife. That's crazy, right? We are called to bear witness to and by the power of the Holy Spirit bear witness To the furthest corners of the earth. Now that means geographically we start local. That means that we start in our own home. Now that might be the furthest corner of the earth as we get started, but you don't have to go to China to live out this call that God gives you. All you have to do is follow Jesus and let the Holy Spirit work and take over your story right where you are. And the Holy Spirit might move you out, and he might move you into your workplace to bear witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. He might move you out to a place that you're even more uncomfortable going. Or you might have a burning call on your life to go be a long-term missionary somewhere in, in a remote corner of the world. All of those are needed. All of those are good. But friends, we are the church. And it's not your story, and it's not my story. It's the story of us. That building behind us is not the church. That is the sanctuary that we have grown accustomed to meeting in, that we love, that holds a special place in our lives, in our heart. But the church is out here right now in this pavilion. And even online. We are the church. Our network of relationships, our web of community is the church. And by the power of the Holy Spirit that is in us, we are unified to bear witness to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to the furthest corners of the earth. God's, Jesus' response to the apostles 
is not just descriptive. He's not just saying, yeah, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and then you're going to be witnesses. No, friends, he's saying the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. It's going to take over your story. Your story will not be your story anymore. It's going to be God's story through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses. And guess what? If you don't want to be my witness, you're still going to be my witness. And guess what? You're just going to be a bad one probably at that point. We are, we bear witness to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the community of the church that is empowered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit. And everyone that looks at your life and my life and our life is going to be taking notes, right? And we hope that they are moved by the Holy Spirit. That their story becomes part of our story. That they no longer have this own isolated story. That they are overwhelmed by the church and by the death and resurrection of Jesus that they are healed and saved once and for all. Friends, if that's not good news, I don't know what is good news. And right now, in a time where we're hurting, I think there's a need for good news. And man, we have that opportunity. And we will do that, whether we like it or not. We will bear witness because the Holy Spirit is working in and through us. And that doesn't just mean when we're trying. When we're commenting and interacting on social media, the Holy Spirit is working through us. Let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. When we go to the grocery store, mask on or not, the Holy Spirit is working through us. Let the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does because that's who owns our story. It is indescribably amazing that the tomb is empty. That the tomb of Christ is empty. That Christ overcame death and the grave. That he rose from the dead. However, I probably like you, have often thought, but why did he ascend into heaven? Like, it would be better if he was here, I think. We can't lose sight of how good it is, the story of ascension, of Christ's ascension. It is better. Don't misunderstand me. It is better that Jesus ascended into heaven than for Jesus to be here right now. Now, that's not to say that if Jesus came back right now that that wouldn't be better. Don't that, That's true. The Holy Spirit is doing what the Holy Spirit does in our community. It is better that Jesus ascended to heaven to allow the Holy Spirit to take over our story and our community and run with it. Let's be honest. If Jesus was here right now, we would probably be just following Jesus everywhere. And if that was social media, we'd probably just be stuck on our social media feed, just looking at what Jesus was posting all day long, right? But would we go to Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth, to the furthest corners of the earth, by the power of the Holy Spirit bearing witness? It's better that Jesus ascended to heaven to allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through our community. And the beauty of Ascension Sunday, the beauty of the story today, is that we celebrate. We celebrate that Jesus is ascended to heaven 
that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, can do what the Holy Spirit does. However, we wait. We do. Because the promise that we have that Jesus will return. Right? Remember what those white robed men said to the apostles when they were staring up at the clouds, right? The paraphrase I used, don't worry, he'll be back. And that's right. We, we wait, we long for the day where Jesus will return and we will experience the fullness of the glory of God. And that the kingdom of God will be once and for all restored here on earth. Until that time, we wait. We don't wait anxiously. We wait with the power of the Holy Spirit, overjoyed at the community that we enjoy, that is the body of Christ. We are the church. But we wait. And we say, Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus.